face my game. Uh, wait, do it again. Check. Sound check. Sound check. Sound check. One, I think two, my one, mic was a little flat. What do you mean? I got no snare yeah. in my head. So. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Nailed it. All right. Welcome to Just the Tech, the new tech podcast for everyone. For everyone. Each episode of Just the Tech covers a single topic, single except top. for this week. <laughs> Gavin, <laughs> shit. A single topic of technology. Thank you. Welcome to Welcome. Just the Tech, the new tech podcast for everyone. Each episode of Just the Tech covers a single topic, giving you an in-depth look into a specific area of technology. My name is Austin, and with me is my Q host, Jason. Co-host. Co- oh, sorry. Uh, our, our co-host, Jason. Hello. And our resident tech layman, Chris. Hi there. Jason and myself know a decent amount about technology. Chris knows very little. I object to that. Oh. You're overruled. Okay. Uh, in this episode of Just the Technology, we will be discussing a single topic of technology. Actually, this episode, no, we won't. we're not. We're covering we'll a lot. Everything. This is just the 2017 year in review in advance. And I like the sound of that. Yeah, so obviously we have a lot to talk about. We're going to be talking about the future, various types of technology. We'll be talking about technology. Um... And specifically, we'll go back to what we talked about in the past, which it was a smartwatch, critically acclaimed episode, VR, AR, also. Our best one. Yeah, actually. We got some real feedback for that one. It's a fan favorite. Yeah, so go back to that if you haven't listened to that before you finish this, because we'll be referencing it a lot. We'll be referencing every episode, actually. Right. Uh, We'll talk about the interface, self-driving cars. Maybe we'll touch on the singularity if we're feeling particularly rowdy. Ooh. Right? Yep. I think that's in our future. Oh, yeah. Just I wanted to let everybody know we've moved into a brand new studio. That's right. That's why our audio quality is so great. Oh, the it's cat is so loud. phenomenal. <laughs> really the best. You know, everyone says it's just great. It's just great. Some of the best. It's the best studio they've ever seen. Okay. So let's just jump right in. Let's start with the smartwatch, which was our first episode, actually. Yeah. And really brings me back. Yeah. That was a long time ago now, and a lot has happened since we've talked about it i I think some in the industry think the smartwatch is dead yeah i know some think it's in a transition phase and those are really your only two options well how do you feel about it jason thanks for asking chris um let me opine if you don't mind absolutely sure so i'm of the opinion that we're in the transition phase smartwatches since we've talked about it have gone a bit more analog, a mix of analog and digital, um, which is interesting because in that conversation we talked about the digital revolution. DR? The digital revolution. So we've seen some incumbent watch manufacturers come into the game with analog, like Austin's watch here, for example. I'm displaying it to the group right now. Yeah. So what's uh, what's the make of that watch, Austin? This is a Withings Activite. Uh, it is a company that actually got bought by Nokia. They my model 
doesn't actually support notifications at all. It only what it does is it it has a completely analog. So I don't even know if it, I hesitate to call it a smartwatch. It is a smarter watch. Uh, it doesn't. It basically tracks sleep, uh, steps, swimming, any like activities, and it, the battery life is projected around three to six months. So that's where I jump in and say it's definitely a smartwatch. Okay. We are incorporating digital technology. There's a chip in there doing doing that tracking. So it's smart. In other words, that watch was enabled by the digital revolution. And it's a new form factor, which is also something we talked about in that episode. When you add a digital component, you can now experiment with new form factors that we hadn't seen before. So that's what's happening right now. We're in that experimentation phase. The first generation of smartwatches needed to happen for them to test out what was going to work and what wasn't. Um, And a lot of people are saying smartwatches are dead now because a lot of the technology companies like Motorola, Huawei, Samsung, Samsung not as much as they're still building them, but a lot of them aren't building smartwatches. They haven't built any new ones in six months, and people are getting concerned because the rate of innovation isn't as fast as it was for smartphones and stuff. But I think what people, you know, pundits and critics have to remember is that the watch business in general is something about buying something that lasts and buying something that doesn't have to be iterated on as quickly. I think this is a classic case of the hype cycle where exactly. you have a peak of inflated expectations and we were there when we were talking about smartwatches. We were. Then right from the peak, you have a trough of disillusionment, which is probably where we are now. And soon enough, we'll, you know, we'll make it to the next step where we have slight progress. I mean, the same happens with almost every industry. It happened with smartphones, and it will likely happen with smartwatches. Isn't there potentially some difference between a phone and a watch? You know, a phone is something that everyone kind of needs to communicate with, with people, whereas watches are in some ways a luxury good. Um, so there, there may simply be some systematic differences here. Weren't phones luxury goods when they were first introduced? Airbags were, were luxury items in a car when they were first introduced, too. It's I, I think I think you can argue that some that watches aren't a luxury good because you can buy a Timex watch at the store for like thirty five dollars. It has a price point to entry that it's still accessible right. for so most people. So watches as we normally think about them are luxury goods. Will high end smart watches. smart watches as we know them now are kind of in the middle. If the functionality built into them is good enough and figured out, then it's possible they do become necessary devices. I think what we've also seen is that the the first round or you know, couple first waves of smartwatches were basically glorified notification trackers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we've had actually, you know, some big incumbents in the area like Pebble have been bought out and their watches will only work for the next through twenty seventeen and then they're they're not gonna work. They were bought out by Fitbit. And I think the industry is still seeing what a smartwatch should be. And right. because people threw everything at the wall to see what would stick. And I think what is sticking, because people like Jason and myself that really like technology, like, you know, it, it gets us excited. They're like, oh, this, this watch can do this. It can do that. But for the everyday person, I think what people really want is actually more of a fitness tracker than a, than a notification center. And they want maybe a little bit more of a right. hybrid because they want something that's going to last. The battery's going to last a while. They want something that isn't engaging them constantly. Right, it's very possible that the critical application for smartwatches or just wearables in general are the health benefits. Tracking, 
aggregating data about your body. And that's, you know, that could be why they become necessary. Who and, knows? And think I, about I it. Know. Apple, I mean, a- Apple jumped on that wagon. It knew that when it when it, it was later to the game. But one of the things it's been trying to with software updates, shift the Apple Watch is to focus on activity and health tracking. They've made a right. big push for that. And that's, I think, why the remnants of Nokia bought this company, Withings, is because their push has always been for fitness. Uh, Withings isn't just a company that makes fitness trackers and smartwatches. They also make... Wi-Fi connected scales that um, can analyze your heart rate and your heart health, and so I think it's a health thing for for these right. fitness and trackers and smartwatches. And that's why you know Under Armour and New Balance are now getting into the smartwatch game. Yeah. they're not watchmakers and they're not technology companies. They're partnering with companies, but, yeah. right? But they they understand that they're health and fitness companies, and they understand that that's one route that the whole wearable category can go. And as biosensors get smaller, more affordable, and more and, accurate, and more accurate, and we can fit them into these devices, it seems likely that's the route smartwatches will go. I think since we have so much to talk about, we should move. We to should move on. VR, move for- AR. push forward. Right. So smartwatch. There you go. So that's yeah, what's about smartwatches, to happen. Health and fitness is, I think, our prediction Done. for 2017. Right. Okay. So VR, AR. That was an exciting episode. That was our most recent episode. Uh, no, our most recent episode was about self-driving cars. The one before that was our VR Air episode. That's right. Our most highly, critically acclaimed episode. That's right. We got a lot of fan mail. Keep it coming. We love reading your letters. Jason, how can people reach us if they want to send us fan mail? Just the dot tech. Just the tech on Facebook. Just the tech on Twitter. Just the tech on Instagram. Um, we'll have links in the description below. Like and subscribe comment yep and if there's anything we missed you should make sure to comment on our follow-up post um, the didn't didn't yeah and well that was a nice middle of the episode plug boom vrar so we talked about magic leap we talked about the hololens we were lucky lucky enough to have the hardware manager of hololens on the episode it was amazing that was he, he was more insightful than i expected him to be i thought he would just kind of be an engineer but the way that he really thought about the industry and the way it was going to go was kind of nuanced so part visionary part engineer right so check out episode uh, 13 virtual reality augmented reality you'll love it he's a compelling speaker too absolutely eloquent he had great vocabulary I know I like a good vocabulary. Me too. So what? So we we pretty much talked about Hololens and Magically almost exclusively in uh, our episode on VR and AR, uh, and we were really we were really hyping up. Some of us were really hyping up Magically. Uh, Chris had no idea what we were talking about. Jason was skeptical, and I was pretty excited about it. That's actually still true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, since then, a lot has happened. A specifically. Lot. You know, so Hololens is kind of shipping. It's out there for developers, and people can actually use one. Magic Leap is still in development. There was a little bit of controversy around that, Ooh. right? In that, uh, nobody's sure when Magic Leap will ship, or even whether the technology is ready, and like what if it's even close to what they've been hyping it up to be. So they released videos saying this is a simulation. Uh, actually. In this case, it didn't say this is a simulation, and it was not the simulation. It was faked. 
Anyway, you know, Magic Leap, they probably have real technology. It's probably not as good as they say, just like every other tech company in the world. And They were banking on a specific technology too, right? Yeah, something with optic, uh, optical fibers or something. I'll right? just input it over when I edit, and I'll ju- you, you can just say, you yeah. know, the te- what, what was the technology they were working on, Jason? Oh, yes, it was. Okay, so we can put it in there. Yeah, okay. perfect. Great. And it didn't it didn't pan out. It didn't work. It, they couldn't miniaturize that. Right. That, that so process. they might have to use um, another technology, which will probably work just as fine. That technology is called. Okay, great. And so like that, where do we think AR VR is gonna go? What's the timeline like? I will. I think it's going places. <laughs> okay. I think we can use the uh, hype cycle again on AR VR. It looks the same. So VR is a little bit further down the cycle. I think we've probably, you know, I don't know where we are. I don't know anything about VR. AR, we're still in the the peak of inflated of, of, of expectations. Hyped-em? Yeah, absolutely. We're gonna hit a trough of disillusionment really quickly and shortly before we can hit that slope of enlightenment. Something I'm actually kind of excited about because they. The first, I'm just going to quickly talk about this. I'm going to attempt to quickly talk about this. They've released two phones that have something called Google Tango built in, and they're ready for you to buy. One of them is utter shit. Uh, one of them is okay. But what I like about them is they're simple applications of, uh, of AR. So and companies can build applications to take advantage of the hardware components in these phones. They have to have specific hardware components. So I think uh, one company, Wayfair, built an app so you can hold your phone up and look at furniture from their site and then place it in your physical space and you can see how it'll fit in your in your house. I think that's kind of cool and I think there's other applications that companies could use for it. Yeah. Um, but the it's not there. It's still hyped. There's, uh, you you got to get the, the cost components down and make it so it's something that is easy to add into a phone. Right. That's, that's I hard. think you have to expand the field of view and there's a lot of, there are a lot of other hurdles that need to be jumped over i don't know I, so chris used the, the htc vr headset i did and I, I don't know was it everything i've ever dreamed of yeah yes well there you go so um what about interfaces guys that was uh that was another important episode that we had way back in the day it was a little technical, yep. but uh, what was your what was your take? Uh, I think that that interfaces are like a very important thing. <laughs> <forward>. <laughs> I I would agree that interfaces are very important. Pretty important, yeah. They're how we interact. One way to interface is through voice. We talked about the Xbox Connect and and that. Uh, since then, we've had a bit more home automation devices like. The Amazon Alexa and the Google Home. I think Chris has something to say. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, what's your take on those? Things? Yeah, what's your, what's your take on those things we just talked about that you were definitely listening to? Uh, they're really important. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chris. I think they're important in a, as, a, as a central hub for future products and services. And I think we've already seen Amazon Alexa and the Echo product line become a central hub, not just in the home, 
but, but as we saw yeah. at CES 2017, how it's how they're trying to integrate it into a lot of different things. Again, Everything. they're doing this throw it at the wall approach. They've integrated it into to a, into a couple smartwatches. Yep. They've integrated it into cars. Uh, so you can, it's 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 a it's a voice assistant that they're hopefully they think will be able to tie every service together, which is really interesting. I mean, Amazon the Amazon Echo's been out for how many years now? Three. Maybe. That sounds about right. Maybe. Yeah, two which or is, three. Which is like yeah, crazy. We, we talked about that on the episode, but the idea of ubiquitous computing where you, you no longer have to look at a screen. You can just talk or you can you know, eventually think, which was kind of the, the crux of the interface episode was eventually we will have a brain-computer interface. That's you know, kind of the dream, the ultimate goal of technology, uh, the final step in the digital revolution, so to speak digitizing our brains and that's the way the interface is moving voice is a step in that direction augmented reality is also a step in that direction so when you merge the two and you can get your thoughts somewhere linked into that system you have a great computing platform i think this is also just hype beasted up too hype beast hype beast hype beast hype 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 beast I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, uh, it's it. It's. I think it's far away from being ubiquitous, though. I think it still has a lot of problems understanding. No, it. no, right. So it's it's the dream, but, but it's not anywhere. I don't think it, anywhere in sight. The idea of ubiquitous computing. Yeah, it's a step in that direction. Yeah. Okay. Self-driving cars. That was a great episode. I uh, that was one of my favorite ones. Episode fourteen. Yeah, fourteen. Episode fourteen. We had Stanley Hormel on. Um, one of the engineers at Waymo now, and he had him on even before Waymo was actually started. It was pretty great, right? Yeah, no, he was also insightful. What was your favorite point that he made, Chris? Um, I think there are some real ethical implications of what what self driving cars are going to do, and I think he talked really, you know, really verbosely about them. Extremely verbosely, a lot of words, almost too verbosely. Yeah, he had a great vocabulary. I like a good vocabulary. Me too. So one of the points I think, uh, oh, something to bring up. Tesla released figures saying that uh, when after they released autopilot to their fleet of cars, it decreased crashes and accidents by 40%. And that was with a beta software that has been getting some negative press because of people being idiots and taking their hands off the wheel and thinking their car can drive itself and it crashes. But the, 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 the data is showing it's actually decreasing accidents, which amazing yeah i mean i think that that's clearly gonna happen right i mean can you imagine all the like the tired and distracted and otherwise impaired drivers on the road just all being you know driven seems like the possibilities for accidents goes down pretty dramatically right it's interesting and uh so with self-driving cars this is one of the topics of technology that's interesting to me let me start over um, <laughs> Nailed it. No, so but but when you talk about self-driving cars, people talk about it like it's an impending thing, and I'm just wondering the last time that we had a technology before it was fully developed and rolled out that everybody was that everybody knew was going to be a successful thing, which also makes me question a little bit the impact, the true impact self-driving cars will have if everybody thinks they're going to have a huge impact. Maybe there are some nuances that we're missing. I, I don't know. 
I still think they will be hugely impactful. Are you saying they were overhyping or underhyping them? I'm, you know, aside from hype, I just don't think anybody knows how they're going to be rolled out because there is a huge regulatory environment around it also. Yeah. And we just don't know, but people are acting like they do know. And if history has shown anything, it's that nobody knows. People love acting like they know. Right. The other thing about cars in general that's interesting is that whenever a new technology is introduced, a lot of people come out and say, we don't want that technology because think about all of the negative things that come from it. So for cars, as an example, cars have, you know, still kill 35,000 people in the U.S. per year. But, but we take cars as something that we already have in society. But when cars were first introduced, there would be an active voice against it, or there should have been because of all of these deaths. Obviously, the counterpoint is, no, we need cars. Look at all of the good cars do. And, yeah. and that is true. And that is an important point to remember whenever we're talking about a new technology at all. During our self-driving car episode. I think that was episode 14. Uh, I think it was episode 9. Um, I said there'd be a loss of freedom, potentially. Uh, Jason made a point that he thinks our children may never know actually how to drive a car. I think that's true. And I disagree. I think with the regulatory air and caution around it, I think getting a license is still going to... People aren't going to trust technology 100% because in order to operate a vehicle, even if it's fully autonomous there are going to be times when it's going to put the driver back in control. Right. So let me clarify. I'm not sure exactly what I said, but let me clarify. I would like our children not to have to learn how to drive. That they, was your point, yeah. They very well may have to. And they, you know, I, I don't want to put a probability on it. They very well, well may have to. I think it would be better for society as a whole if it was at the point where they didn't. So I don't imagine that I'm going to have to, like, face this problem for a good 25 years. You know, yeah. that's when a child of mine could potentially be, like, 15 or 16. Um, and at that point, I do have a hard time believing that they're going to really be expected to do much. Um, I think at that point, self-driving cars will be so deep into the, the grain yeah. society that it'll be just fairly normal. Once we get – I think there's going to be – I think it's going to depend uh, on where you live, too. I, I think there's going to be an initial resistance to self-driving cars – around all of this regulatory, you know, nightmare stuff. But once – there's going to be a tipping point, obviously. And then within the systems we have now, there are going to be disincentives to to drive yourself, to drive manually. And eventually – and that will be an accelerating curve where as more people stop driving, the disincentives – for driving increase even more dramatically. So eventually we'll reach that point and it'll happen at an increasing pace of speed. Increasing, whatever. You know what I mean. I think America has been, when it comes to driving regulations as well, has been one of a, a, a nation that, because of the way, because of our ideologies, I guess you can say, uh, d- depending on where you live in America, you have, I mean, if you're in New York City, I know we, we we all know a guy that didn't even have his driver's license because he didn't have to have one. But in other areas, getting a driver's license, like in, I don't know, say a place that's more rural, is, is, is a freeing thing. You can go somewhere and leave an area that with, you know, say your, your friends live miles and miles apart. Uh, I think self-driving cars help, but I also think that 
America for some reason has this idyllic image and it'll continue because what happens in our gen what happens in every generation is that the people that are you know people that are older have more influence over the country and so they'll still have the idyllic image about how freeing self-driving cars are. I don't I, th I think it'll be when 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 my children are in charge maybe people won't have to know how to drive I think in my lifetime I don't think I think people will still even if it's just so they just for like a safety precaution, you know, the car drives itself 90% of the time, but it, they have to know just in case if the car, for some reason, something happens, they're in a situation where they're thrown back into control, they need to know. And I uh, think that's... Yeah. No, I think that yeah. is incredibly possible. Yeah. And again, I think nobody knows. In order to know, you need to know all of the factors that go into this, and we just don't. There are going to be unforeseen consequences and unforeseen factors that we can't use to predict i think the the this is my last point i think the uh the point i made in uh in episode seven when we did self-driving cars was that uh, americans don't like being told what to do especially from a regulatory body uh in europe and in britain and in other i think it was the i think it was the french i'm gonna go with the french uh they have speed cameras uh on highways uh and if you go above a certain speed you automatically get a ticket like it, you know, right, now like right. we, when we go through work zones and it's like you gotta lower your speed by ten miles per hour, you get a ticket, but it's only if somebody sees you. There, there are speed cameras when that's happening, and you will get automatic tickets. That hasn't made its way over to the U.S. because people would freak the fuck out. Yes. Another aspect that we haven't talked about with this is. Are you allowed to say the fuck word? Oh, we might have sound effects over uh, when yeah, we. Yeah, just bleep, bleep that. You guys ever watched uh, the late TV? What? Sorry. Any TV? <laughs> MTV. MTV? I'll, I'll come up with a good way to bleep out things. Yeah. So an, another aspect that we haven't touched on with self-driving cars is the economic aspect on the manufacturers. So we don't know yet if a Google-created car kills me, who is liable? Will, you know, will my family sue Google and then Google has to make several million dollar payouts every time someone dies and people are going to inevitably die in self-driving cars so where is the liability and if that liability is too great or if in, they can't partner with insurance companies who can um actuarialize the the risk actualize no the other word actuarialize yeah yeah sorry use an actuary i think it's the okay. you know so so if you all get my point is that the we economic depth, incentives yeah. may actually be negative to drive to so, create a self-driving car oh okay so i would okay. imagine that insurance companies would actually be really thrilled about this that i think that their their payouts will end up being lower um just because you know there's there's less their payouts will be lower but their premiums will actually be higher to the corporations that are yeah, creating corporations cars. won't like it. instead of what you have now is probably smaller premiums from each individual driver and larger payouts. Ooh, so that think, is possible think I've about never... it this way though i think the, their total like payout costs like the total cost that they actually have right um, yeah right now the decrease. over overwhelming sentiment is that this is going to be terrible for insurance companies because there are going to be no accidents but there may be a rebound effect where if there is the payout's huge right but also it, it, pr premiums are large premiums. Uh, payouts are smaller what is what but you also have to take to uh, take into consideration is in 2016 we actually saw a lot of tech companies that we thought were going to develop their own cars end up partnering with right incumbent car manufacturers you know 
Google spun off I and has their own. They they they're now with Waymo. Uh, sorry, Google is now with Chrysler. Uber is with Volvo. Um, Uber is with Volvo. Yeah, you have Intel and Mobileye with BMW and Honda. Lyft and uh, right, there's Lyft and uh, Ford. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I these mean, companies the, are, and, the, and, and and Nvidia is partnering with. I think the German auto, uh, automakers as well. Yeah. So there, I mean, that's a function I think of the auto manufacturers not having the technological chops. They don't have the artificial intelligence. They don't have the deep learning. They don't have the chips. So all of these companies do need to come together. But going back to your point about who's responsible, it might not be the car companies that are responsible because they won't be making the software. It might be the software companies who make the self-driving car. Right. software they might be helped with right. that third intermediary party it could be both there's there's a lot that needs to be figured out and that's one of the bigger question marks that is still out there about self-driving cars yeah which is why it, it kind of brings me back to the when was the last time a technology was predicted to be so successful before it was even out you know like the internet but no because the internet people there were tons of internet skeptics yeah, it just doesn't feel well, like there are a lot of self-driving skeptics. There are people who ask questions and think oh, it'll take longer, but everybody thinks this is something that will definitely generally positive. Happen. Right, it's generally positive. Maybe, maybe like the airplane. Like we knew that once we discovered flight, we would you know revolutionize everything, and we knew we would eventually discover flight. Is that the best analogy? I, I don't know. You know, if you want to listen to more a more in-depth conversation about this, you can always refer back to episode seven, which was our self-driving car episode. That's right. Um, the with Stanley Hormel? Yes, with Stanley Hormel. Um, I think we we hit on a lot of good stuff. So, Chris, do you have any future-looking questions for us to wrap up the episode? That's a good question, Austin. What do you think the breakout technology of 2017 will be? What do you think? As a layman, I have very little idea. But there are some things I'm excited about. Yeah, like, like what would you like to see in 2017 that you haven't seen yet? Well, I think that there's a. It'd be really cool to see some some better interface options hit the market. You know, um, I'm really mad at, at Siri most of the time. It basically garbles everything I say. So I, I would really enjoy a a more usable interface. Yeah. So I think Apple hired their head of AI from Carnegie Mellon, and they're gonna have some big AI improvements. They're also now publishing their AI papers which was something Apple would never do. But in the field of AI, you know, openness is kind of lauded. So they've been publishing, and that should hopefully recruit some high-level AI talent. And we should see some things there. From Samsung, they bought Vive, which was another company we actually talked about in just the interface. Wasn't Vive all? What was the, the, the AI startup that was all Carnegie Mellon? Um, I don't know, actually. I, I, I'm not sure. So, but but Vive was not acquired by Samsung when we were talking about it in the episode. They're kind of like Google Home. They're kind of like Amazon Alexa. It's and the team behind Siri, right? Exactly. They, but they didn't get to realize their full Siri vision because Apple stifled it or whatever. And they did that. Samsung bought them, and we're gonna see that come to market with the new Samsung Galaxy phones in probably just a few months. And I think that'll be pretty interesting. We're, we're going to have a battle of the AI assistants in 2017, I predict. I'm looking forward to that. 
I'm really excited because like we think we talked about earlier with smartwatches, uh, with uh, incumbents and also startups um, kind of merging together. We saw Under Armour acquire a lot of, uh, of fitness apps and software, and they're partnering with HTC to make uh, fitness bands and smartwatches uh, potentially. And this has been happening across the board. All the major, uh, most of the major fitness tracking and apps have been bought up by larger companies. I'm really excited to see the fruition of that, of having, you know, because right now all you pretty much get is this is how many steps I've traveled. Uh, this is how long I've slept. But like what I want to know the bigger picture. I want to know like how that can right. help me be I, healthier. I think that's a theme of the digital revolution. Of When you need to digitize an incumbent product, you need the analog manufacturers to work with digital technology companies to figure it all out unless a digital technology company can come in and undercut those incumbents, which happens in some industries. But in, in you know, specialized, highly technical manufacturing things like cars and watches, you need the expertise from both sides to work together. That's why I'm excited about Fitbit. The one thing I'm mean going to miss about the Pebble the most is the way it handled activity and health tracking. Because it didn't just say, "Hey, you met your ten thousand step goal every day." It it, it looked at what, how you average how you averaged out your walking and your and your activities for a week, and said, "Hey, like this Thursday, you're doing better than you did last Thursday. That's good." Not putting you to an arbitrary step goal, but it was kind of this. It was a Stanford algorithm that they were using, and I'm really excited to see. Just in general, I want to know what's healthy, and I think that data science and a lot of you know a lot of automation can happen to like give me something that's feasible and easily readable to a consumer. Hey, you can do this to be healthier. Great job, everybody. Uh, don't we have an outro? I feel we like do. we have an I know. I'm, I, I, was, I had to find it. What's the outro? Thanks for listening to Just the Tech. We could not include everything, and we definitely missed some things. We definitely didn't talk about smartphones, PCs, whatever. If you have any questions about those things, uh, be sure to check out um, – no. If you have any questions about those things, you can continue the conversation with us on Twitter – at just the tech or our facebook page at www.facebook.com backslash just the tech podcast and if you want to if you want to check out also be sure to check out our did and didn't companion post for this episode on our website www.justthe.tech thank you thank you Ooh, we can auto-tune an outro wow just the tech <laughs>